0: Marissa Lee here, and I'm so excited to be sharing today's interview round episode with you. In these episodes, our brilliant lineup of guests will include healthcare practitioners, voice educators, and other professionals who will share their stories, knowledge, and experiences within their specialized fields to empower you to live your best life. Whether you're a member of the voice community or beyond, your voice is your unique gift. It's time now to share your gift with others, develop a positive mindset and become the best and most authentic version of yourself to create greater impact. Ultimately, you can take charge. It's time for you to live your best life It's time now for A Voice and Beyond. So, without further ado, let's go to today's episode. This week on A Voice and Beyond, our guest is Ashok Gupta, an internationally renowned speaker, filmmaker, and health practitioner who has dedicated his life to supporting people through chronic illness and achieving their full potential. Ashok is also a leading expert in the field of neuroimmune conditioned syndromes, otherwise known as NICS, and the mind behind the Gupta program. With a background in neuroscience and a focus on integrative healthcare, Ashok has captured international recognition for his contributions to treating NCIS, a condition that often baffles traditional healthcare systems. Ashok explains the various conditions that fall under NICS, which include ones such as chronic fatigue syndrome, fibromyalgia, Multiple chemical sensitivities and long COVID, which all affect an increasing number of people. Ashok himself suffered from chronic fatigue syndrome around 25 years ago when he was studying at Cambridge University. Through neurological research that he conducted, he managed to make a full recovery and Ashok then set up a clinic where he began to treat others. During this interview, Ashok guides us towards understanding these complex syndromes more comprehensively, why they are arising in prevalence globally, and offers insights into new evidence-based approaches substantiated by multiple published randomized controlled trials on Long COVID, Chronic Fatigue Syndrome, and Fibromyalgia. This is a most interesting interview with Ashok Gupta, who has dedicated his life to ensuring others do not go through the same challenges as he had on his own journey to recovery through conventional medicine. I was fascinated by this interview And I know you will be as well. So, without further ado, let's go to today's episode. Welcome to A Voice and Beyond. We have a very special guest all the way from the UK. We have Ashok Gupta.
1: How are you, Ashok? I'm very well, thanks. Lovely to be here.
0: Good, good. Now, you are a very clever person. You are the mind behind the Gupta program and a leading expert in the field of neuroimmune conditioned syndromes, which let's just refer to those as NICS. To make life easier for me. (laughs) You have a background in neuroscience with a focus on integrative healthcare and you have captured international recognition for your contributions on treating NICS. Your expertise has been featured in numerous media outlets, including the Huffington Post, BBC and Psychology Today. And you've also been a keynote speaker at numerous international conferences on neuroscience and healthcare. Okay. Now, what's really interesting about all of this is that you hold a master's degree in economics and public policy from Cambridge University. So, how did you get to where you're at today doing this amazing work that you're doing?
1: Thank you, Marissa, for that uh, lovely intro. So yeah, like many of us who are on this journey, we've come through our own challenges, because we've seen the, it's the suffering and the pain that comes with these types of illnesses, and then we've chosen to help others. So my journey started in the mid-'90s when I was studying it as an undergrad at Cambridge, as you mentioned. And I had just contracted some kind of virus, and for whatever reason, that virus didn't go away. it continued. And I thought that it would go away and I'd feel better. But it got worse and worse and worse, the point at which I had to crawl to the bathroom just to be able to, you know, function. And I'd pick up a textbook and I couldn't even read the textbook on the page. Wow. And that's really started my lifelong journey to say, I need to understand what causes these conditions and be able to heal myself and others from it. And I remember in my darkest moments thinking, if I can just get myself even 50% better, 60% better, Mm -hmm. I will dedicate the rest of my life to helping others with this type of condition. And so I read lots of books on neurology, on brain science, et cetera. And I came up with a hypothesis as to what I thought caused these conditions. And then I published that hypothesis in 2002, but I wrote it in 99. And I experimented with my brain in a very kind of ad hoc way and managed to heal myself, managed to get 100% better set up a clinic to treat others, and then published obviously various medical papers, randomised controlled trials, and also uh, published an online programme. So yeah, so that's how my journey started and that's how we got to where we are today.
0: Okay, so let's just dumb this right down. What are neuroimmune condition syndromes? What are they like? What are the diseases or illnesses that fall under that umbrella?
1: Yeah. So many doctors talk about how there are so many different illnesses which they find difficult to treat. And those types of illnesses include what we call neuroimmune. So there's something going on in the neurology which is unusual or difficult to track. Immune because we see there's something wrong with the immune system. Conditioned because we believe that these illnesses have been learnt in the brain, they've been learnt to be the way that they are, and syndromes because there's a whole variety of different symptoms that tend to cross over between these conditions. So an example would be long COVID, fibromyalgia, ME and chronic fatigue syndrome, mold illness, Lyme disease, POTS, dysautonomia, and a whole range of different sensitivity reactions to the environment mm-hmm. as well. So those are just some of the conditions that we believe come under neuroimmune conditioned syndromes.
0: And some of those are hard to diagnose as well. So it's almost mm. like it's just an umbrella term for a bunch of things that could possibly be anything.
1: Right, exactly. Yeah.
0: Yes. Some years ago, I was living in a home that I always used to say I was allergic to. For some reason, while I was living in this house, I was always unwell. And mm. My theory was that there was a mould problem in this home and it wasn't until some time later that this mould became apparent. There was kind of like a smell in the house that was kind of like that damp smell. And at one time I was very, very unwell and I was basically bedridden for a week but then I was very sick for months And I was diagnosed with viral meningitis Mm. and then another time I was having migraines, I was having vertigo and so I really believed, I kept saying I'm allergic to the house, there's something in this house that's making me unwell. And then when we moved out of the house I actually was fine so I kind of feel like some of those things that you've mentioned fall under that umbrella term like things that could possibly be almost anything. So what causes NICS? Is there something that you could say, like, is it an inflammatory thing? Is there anything that people have said, yes, this could contribute to NICS?
1: Yes. Yeah, so I think... The way I start this is always asking the biggest question of all why are we here? <laughs> okay, so we can spend the next hour or so discussing this from a philosophical perspective, but let's take it from a scientific perspective. Mm-hmm. The reason that we are here as human beings, that we exist, is because over millions and millions of years, this nervous system and this immune system has evolved to adapt to our environment so that we can survive and pass on our genes to the next generation. Okay, so we are survival machines. And the number one priority of the brain is, in fact, survival. Now, the brain cares more about your survival than it does your wellness. So let's take that first piece of the jigsaw puzzle, that survival is the number one priority. Mm -hmm. Now, let's imagine that, let's say we get COVID as an example. So normally, our immune system switches on, it fights off the virus in our body, and then switches off and goes back to standby mode. That's normally what happens in most people's, um, you know, kind of immune systems. Mm. But imagine that for some reason your body is weak. Yeah, for what it might be physically overdoing it, emotionally overdoing it, or you've just, you know, felt a bit stressed. But nothing unusual that most people don't experience. Then the immune system may be weaker than normal. So when it's fighting off this virus, it may think, "Hey, you know what?" We're fighting off this virus, but because we're a little weaker, it's taking longer to fight off this virus. Yes. Therefore, we must err on the side of caution and continue to trigger our immune system and nervous system even once the virus has gone, just to check it, just to make sure that we are surviving, because surviving is more important Mm -hmm. than wellness. Mm -hmm. And Marissa, are you a a fan of Game of Thrones?
0: I'm not, but my husband is.
1: Your husband, (laughs) is. It's too
0: much for me. (laughs)
1: It's a bit <laughs> On <difficult>. every level. <laughs> On every level, yes. So let's take an example of a fairy tale. We all, okay. we all enjoyed fairy tales when we were younger. Mm-hmm. Or oh, even now, of course. So imagine that you are Queen Marissa yes. of your kingdom. Oh, I'd okay. like you're, that. You'd like that. You're liking yeah, this analogy. I w- okay. I
0: w- I'm loving it already.
1: Already. You're brought in. <laughs> so you imagine you are Queen Marissa of your kingdom. And you have an army, which is your nervous system, and they defend the kingdom and make Mm -hmm. sure it survives. Mm -hmm. And you have a navy, which is your immune system, but you Mm -hmm. also defends the body Mm -hmm. against incoming invaders. Mm -hmm. And so the incoming invaders are viruses, bacteria, mold, anything that could impact on the body in a negative way. Mm -hmm. Now, an army comes over the hill, your army and navy fight it off and everything is fine. Yes. But now imagine there's a drought in the kingdom. Yes. So the kingdom is a little weaker. Yes. And now an invading army comes over the hill, but the army and navy are also weaker because there's not enough food in the kingdom. Mm -hmm. And therefore, they really fight off this incoming invader, but it takes them a lot longer to fight it off. Mm -hmm. So they become traumatized by the effects of war because they Mm -hmm. think, hey, we are only just managing to survive. So finally they fight off the invader. But now the army and navy is traumatized and they come to you, Queen Marissa, and they say, Queen Marissa, we need all the resources of the kingdom. We need all the the corn, the wheat, the metal. Everything needs to be channeled to us because if we don't defend the kingdom, everything falls. We're all lost, right? Mm-hmm. So you the natural thing to do is to say, yes, okay, you can have all the resources. So now the army and navy are causing widespread inflammation in the body because they are constantly firing off their bows and arrows and their war machines, even if something innocuous comes over the hill. So a little child on a little horse comes over the hill, they start firing off all their weapons because they're (laughs) traumatized. They think Mm -hmm. we have to ensure survival. And then what happens is some of their bows and arrows start falling back into the kingdom, damaging the kingdom as well. So that's the effects of inflammation on our body and on our brains. We get neuroinflammation, we get inflammation through the body, we get effects on the muscles, et cetera. And this process then continues because the army and navy are doing the right thing. As as far as uh, evolutionary biology goes, they are hyper-defending the kingdom to make sure that we survive. The problem is it drains us of our energy Mm. and starts damaging the kingdom itself because we are firing off too many weapons of war. And brain retraining is the next time there's the meeting with Queen Marissa and the generals come in, you say to them, my dear generals, you have done a fantastic job of defending the kingdom. But the good news is the war is over. So you can stop firing off your weapons of war. Stand down. Of course, the army and navy aren't going to believe you the first time. It's going to require repeated information to tell them. That's where neuroplasticity comes in to say, It's the repetition, forming new neuronal connections that finally informs the brain that we are safe. So eventually the army and navy stand down, they switch off their weapons of war, and the body goes back to its normal state. And that is what we're doing in terms of brain retraining.
0: Right. So with the NICS, I just want to get this clear. So basically the body is fighting, and it's using all its resources to fight, whatever it is, it is fighting. And when it comes time to stop, it doesn't stop. It keeps fighting. So it is staying in that fight mode, even when it doesn't need to. The war is over. The, the illness has left the body, but the body is not responding and stopping The fight, it continues to fight. And then what you do with your program is that you, so somehow the message isn't firing from the brain to the body to stop fighting and it continues the war unnecessarily. And it's the body is depleting. So your program then is to come in and to retrain the brain. To stop the fight and kind of send the message to say, "Calm down now. You can, you can stop. Just stop." Is that it in a nutshell?
1: That is a great summary. That's exactly right, Marissa. Exactly
0: okay, I right. got it. See, I was yes. following. That's why I was the queen because I know what's going <laughs> on.
1: <laughs> exactly right. So that is exactly what is uh, what is happening. and obviously this is a hypothesis Um, yes you see this can now apply we can see why it happens from our evolutionary biology we want to survive so it's logical as to Mm -hmm. why this happens Mm -hmm. and it also explains why so many of these conditions are becoming more prevalent in society because we as a society are now living not according to our genetic inheritance yes Um, so we have gone from essentially being agrarian or hunter-gatherers being outside a lot getting lots of vitamin d and light and a lot of fresh air being around nature. Mm -hmm. So now in the last couple of hundred years, living in boxes, eating food, which is laced with obviously lots of toxins and impurities and artificial substances, which keep triggering our immune system and nervous system in the background anyway. So many of us are actually in fight or flight mode in terms of our immune system quite a lot of the time because we are constantly fighting off things in the background that we weren't exposed to before. Yes. Which gives us this pro-inflammatory bias. And this comes from stress. It comes from toxins around us, like household cleaning agents, shampoos. Mm -hmm. It comes from the pollution that we are exposed to. It comes from toxins in the food. It comes from our lack of exercise, our lack of sleep, staring at screens. All of this comes into the bucket.
0: And even the Wi-Fi. Yes.
1: Yes. So we have electrical fields that we are also surrounded yes. by. So all of this, imagine our resilience is like a bucket, yeah? And all of this stress comes into this bucket. And what happens is we can handle a certain amount of stress, but there comes a point at which we can no longer handle it, where the water, the stress, now flows over the sides of the bucket, mm-hmm. and that's when illness occurs, where we mm-hmm. have reached our capacity for handling the threats that we are experiencing. Mm-hmm. Yes. Now, normally, if we are... If we manage our stress and whatever, we're able to drain the bucket and we can get back to normal. But in some cases, the system becomes so traumatized by the overall attacks it's receiving that it then goes into this conditioning mode or learning mode. And it then learns to overstimulate an immune system, the nervous system. And that's what then causes these conditions like long COVID and fibromyalgia and Mm. mold illness. All of these different illnesses are a result of this overstimulated system.
0: Yes, and inflammation is also responsible for many, many other diseases such as diabetes, a lot of the skin problems. There's so many things that high blood pressure, there's a lot of diseases that inflammation triggers too. So therefore, we're living in a society or in a world where we're having to deal with issues and environmental problems and we're being exposed to all the things that you just said, but our bodies were not actually designed to deal with all this. So with this NICS, would you say it's more prevalent in the Western world or is it a global phenomenon?
1: I think it is a global phenomenon, but it is more prevalent in Western societies where we've moved from a more traditional organic agriculture system to mm-hmm. a more mass-produced agricultural system, mm-hmm. which essentially takes shortcuts, such mm-hmm. as the fertilisers and etc. that go in, the impurities, and then the toxins that accumulate. So, for instance, when we're eating, for instance, like red meat, now compared to two, three hundred years ago, the red meat that we're, most people are eating is laced with. Antibodies, uh, growth hormones, impurities—so many different things that actually, once again, can inflame our systems and make our systems feel that we are under threat because there's so many impurities now. And that's not just red meat; there's a whole range of different uh, substances that we are eating. And this is why this makes us prone to then getting a neuroimmune condition because the system's primed to already be in this hyperdefensive state.
0: Are there? people or groups of people or more vulnerable people that are more likely to suffer with NICS or is this something that anyone can suffer from? And like, Do you know the stats around the number of people, like one out of 20 or one out of 100, who may be suffering at the moment or have done in the past?
1: It's a really good question. So we estimate that between... 10 to 20% of the population in Western countries are suffering in some shape or form from one of these types of conditions, whether it be some kind of severe pain syndrome. Uh, you know, for instance, even with long COVID, we all know somebody who's still suffering the lingering effects of COVID. Yes. Right? So it shows you how prevalent it is because we all know somebody. And so I think that the prevalence is increasing because of all of these stresses increasing and the the advent of COVID-19 infection is also making the situation uh, worse as well. And the way that our modern living is affecting us is making it more prone. So yes, I do think it's increasing. And I think if we look at the types of people who are more likely to have it, so we know from the stats that women, unfortunately, are more likely to get this than men, because I believe their immune systems function slightly differently to the way a a man's immune system functions. And also, What's so fascinating is that we have noticed that it's more prevalent amongst people who've experienced adverse childhood experiences and trauma in younger years. And in fact, there is some evidence that people who've had adverse childhood experiences are three to four times more likely to gain some kind of chronic condition like this later in life. And we've made the connection between the moment someone, even from conception right through to adult life, the chain of connections that creates that cause and effect cycle.
0: So you're saying that NICS could be manifested from trauma in some way? I wouldn't way. say
1: manifest. What I would say is it increases the risk factor. Uh huh. And let me, let me describe why. When we go to a hospital, yes. it's very interesting, isn't it, that all the departments are separate. So mm-hmm. there's an immunology department over here, there's a neurology department over here, There's physiology over here, endocrinology over here. And you're thinking, hang on, the body is one system, one body. And yet medicine has split it all up into these separate sections. Yes. The brain and the body doesn't function like that. The brain simply says, I have a threat. And that threat could be emotional. It could be physical. It could be biological, like mold. What do I need to do to now defend the body? And I will create an emotional response, a physical response, an immune response. So, as an example, when you get flu, how do we feel emotionally? We feel pretty rotten. Yeah, we feel terrible. It's
0: borderline depressing. Yeah, depressing. Your mood, your overall mood changes.
1: Yeah. Now, why is that? That is deliberate because the brain says, I don't want you to be out there having fun and feeling good. I want you to feel down and miserable. So, you'll stay at home. So, you rest. rest. Yeah. You rest and you allow your immune system to fight off the infection. So, in a similar way, the body does not differentiate. So what happens is our there's a part of our brain called the amygdala, yes. which is responsible for our fight or flight or defense responses. And it has also now been implicated in, in pain responses and immune responses, uh, together with a brain structure called the insula, which I'll come on to in a moment. Now, that the factory setting of that amygdala is determined by many things. So let's say the stress of our mother when we were in the womb that impacts on how reactive our amygdala will be to the environment. Yep. Then our birth experience, that will impact on our amygdala. The first five to 10 years of life will severely impact on the factory setting of that amygdala in terms of how responsive Mm -hmm. and reactive is it to our Mm -hmm. environment, how sensitive are we to our environment. Mm -hmm. And then obviously our teenage years as well to a lesser extent. And then as an adult, that is our... Inheritance, both our genetic and nature and nurture inheritance of the factory setting of the amygdala. Then, as an adult, the people who are more likely to be emotionally sensitive to their environments are also more likely to be physically sensitive to their environments because the, the same brain structures are involved. Yes, that makes sense. And therefore, we notice that in our client base, there's a high percentage of people who had Anything along the range from neglect, you know, lack of love, lack of nurture, right through to full-blown trauma with a capital T and can be anywhere along that spectrum can then create this reactive amygdala and insular part of the brain, which means that if we're more emotionally sensitive and reactive uh, or vulnerable, that then makes us more physiologically sensitive and vulnerable to our environments and more likely to create a a neuroimmune uh, condition syndrome.
0: Hmm. That's incredible because a part of what you were saying there was that in terms of the factory settings of the amygdala we have no control over because when we're in the mother's womb when at birth a lot of those occurrences we actually have no control. Yeah. Therefore how do we fix the problem?
1: Well the first thing is it's to realize that the The trauma or the adverse childhood experiences are one layer. And the illness is not as a result of that trauma, but sits on top of it Mm -hmm. in the sense that it was more likely the brain would be sensitive to developing this learned response to new stimuli around you. If you're stressed about one thing, you're more likely to get stressed about another thing, essentially. And so our brain retraining is designed to help people remove that top layer, this layer of illness, this repeated condition response. To remove that. Now, that, and what we find is with our program, many people also find that their underlying trauma is, as a secondary result, also supported and helped. Because our program is not just about getting people well, we want people to stay well, which is therefore to learn the skills to be able to handle stress in life and become Mm. more aware of our inherent stress responses that may make us overwork or do things that compromise the health of the body or not invest in self-care. So the first layer is retrain the brain to remove that conditioned response so that the illness isn't this vicious cycle. And then the second is also to then look at our, not look at specifically what happened to us in the past, but to look at the effects of that in the present. And how do we respond to our environments and how can we calm that response down? Mm. So there's a nervous system regulation as well as brain retraining.
0: yes. You have your program, which we're going to speak about in a moment. Two questions I'd like to ask. One is, with NICS, is it preventable? And secondly, if a patient does have NICS, what are the traditional ways of dealing with that? What options do they have in terms of treatment, healthcare programs and approaches?
1: Well, in terms of the latter question, generally, there aren't many things that have been shown to be consistently beneficial, which is why it's a mystery to most doctors and medical professions. So, generally, people will go through the mainstream medical system, they'll not get much benefit. So, then they'll go to often a nutritionist, uh, naturopath, uh, integrative and functional doctor. And there are certainly some things that can help patients. So, we know going on a good diet. Uh, making sure you pace yourself, having certain supplements that are anti-inflammatory, these can all support and help. And certainly people notice an improvement in their health, but they often find that it doesn't really get them to 100%. And they often find that a stress can come along or a difficult time in life or just a busy time and wham, all the symptoms come back. It all flares up. It all flares up. And many nutritionists say to me, we just don't understand. We, We do this great work. We get people well. But it doesn't seem to last, and then things can all come flooding back. Therefore, we don't know if we're getting to the underlying cause. And that's why we work with a lot of naturopaths and nutritionists to say, let's work in tandem, where you're still working on Mm -hmm. the downstream effects, but let's go upstream and try and fix the originating issue, which we believe is in the brain itself. And there's a vicious cycle going. So the brain says, right, we believe we're still in danger. Okay. So it stimulates the nervous system and immune system, just like the fairy tale we spoke about. That then causes the physical symptoms in the body. Now, normally, physical symptoms in the body are just physical symptoms. The brain doesn't necessarily, you know, see that as a negative, massively negative thing. But we believe in these conditions, the brain starts seeing these symptoms in your body as a threat, as also evidence that the original trigger is still present. So the body thinks, the brain thinks oh, I've got symptoms in the body. Maybe the COVID-19 infection is still here. So then those symptoms loop back to a hypersensitive brain and the brain thinks we're still in danger. So that it then triggers those defensive responses, which creates excessive immune system and nervous system response, sympathetic response, which causes symptoms and inflammation in the body, which loops back to the hypersensitive brain. And you see that we get a vicious cycle. And that is why so many chronic conditions can go on for years, Because the input and the output of the system have got connected. And then we get in a vicious cycle. And our program is designed to break that vicious cycle, to train the brain that we are no longer in danger, and then switch off those responses. So that's going upstream. So to answer your question, traditionally, there's not many things that have been shown to have long-term benefit for people with these conditions. But Mm. we hopefully go to the original source and then help people heal.
0: This is such a light bulb moment for me. When you were talking about this vicious cycle, I have gut health issues. And I believe that it comes from stress, although Mm -hmm. I can't prove it, but I believe that there's stress involved or anxiety and it triggers the gut health issues. And then when I am in pain, for a number of days, I feel that then that exacerbates the anxiety even further and so it becomes this I feel like I'm on a treadmill and it's like what do you treat first? Do you treat the brain? Do you treat the gut? Which it's it's this cycle. And what you were saying earlier about traditional medicines or even going to see a naturopath, that yes, it does help for a while, but then when you go into that fight or flight response that we all do at various times in our lives, that trigger happens and I end up back on that cycle again. So it's never fully recovered. It could be months, it could be a year, but history has shown with me that it keeps recurring. And I know that you you deal specifically with the brain and you use neuroplasticity to help your patients. So do you want to describe for those of us who don't fully understand what that is, I kind of feel like neuroplasticity is a rewiring of some kind, but maybe if you would like to describe what that is for, for all of us. In, yes, in another absolutely. I can be the queen again if you wish but I, oh, don't, okay,
1: have so to be. That I don't
0: I don't <laughs> have to be but I wouldn't mind
1: <laughs> You, wouldn't, you can definitely use that analogy. Um, and some others as well so yeah the um the things you mentioned about the gut is so important because once again when we are giving certain dietary restrictions to a patient or we are or when I say we we as a civilization we are then giving supplements, that can help for sure because it's helping the body deal with this overactive immune system and nervous system, which creates this inflammatory response. So what we're trying to do is reduce as much other sources of inflammation so the body can at least handle its own triggered inflammation, if you sit to me. So we're trying to reduce other inflammatory mm-hmm. foods. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't get to the root cause, I believe, of, of this vicious cycle. As you say, symptoms can come flooding back. And we know this is a massive gut-brain connection. So If you have gut issues and a compromised gut biome, that then feeds back to more depressive and anxious thoughts in the brain, Mm -hmm. which then feeds back to a tightness in the gut and all the gut Mm -hmm. issues. And don't you find it fascinating, Marissa? I mean, I certainly do. Where there are people that I know who have a really bad diet, they don't exercise, they're eating loads of fast food, and yet they're just happy-go-lucky, they don't get any gut issues and whatever. And then you get people who are like super strict with their diet, have the most amazing diet, and yet they've got all these gut issues. Yes, and I was thinking, curious, and that gives us a clue to how important the brain aspect of it is. Because the people who don't get such such bad gut issues, I generally find, and this is, and I, people apologize, I apologize to people in advance because it's a sweeping generalization, but they tend to be people who are less anxious. They tend to be more carefree. They're less, you know, attached to things. They're just, you know. A bit jolly and just get on with life, and I don't mean that in a negative way. But what I'm saying is they don't have that kind of sensitivity and that kind of anxiety about things. They're less, con- perhaps less conscientious about getting everything right. You know, less perfectionist, less achiever, and therefore their gut tends to be generally okay. Now that doesn't mean they won't get things later in life, but it shows us how powerful the mindset aspect is in terms of impacting you know on our gut. Mm. So what we do in, in brain retraining. So imagine your brain is like a field. Let's imagine a field. Yes. And we have a stimulus, which is the presence of mold or uh, symptoms in your body, which might indicate ongoing COVID, or whatever it may be. And the interpretation is this is dangerous. And the response is let's trigger the immune system and nervous system. So stimulus is the trigger. Interpretation is this is dangerous. Result is let's trigger our immune system and nervous system. Now that process is like a channel, like a neuron in that field. So imagine a river flowing in that field. Yeah, It's cut a little path along that field. And we need to reroute that river. That's what basically neurological brain retraining is. We need to push the river in a different direction. But that ground is frozen. So if the ground is frozen, we can't reroute the river in your brain. So the first step of brain retraining is to thaw the soil. Yeah. So we want to unfreeze the soil to make the soil loose and malleable. Yes, yes. So that's meditation, breathing techniques, nervous system regulation all come in because they help loosen up the yeah. And Then the second step, which is the core of our program, is retraining the brain, which is digging a new neuronal uh, channel in a different direction. So we reroute the river we reroute the thought energy or the patterns onto a different river. And of course, that requires repetition because you do that one day and the next day, if you don't do it, if it rains, the rain will find the old riverbed and go along the left-hand path. So repetition is very important. Until the new path is so deep that the old path freezes over and soil and grass grow and you can no longer detect the left-hand path. And now river is being... Rerouted along the right-hand part. And that then is a successful brain retraining process. But then someone has to be careful not to become complacent because those old riverbeds are still there. And you know, when the archaeologists ar- and uh, certain geologists, they do tests, you can have a river that dried up 2 million years ago, but you can still detect where it was. Yeah. So in the same way, we encourage our patients to not become complacent And continue with their brain retraining, even though they have healed and got well, because we want to make sure they stay well and they can manage their stress. And so that is the process of brain retraining is going along the right hand path. And in our fairy tale analogy, it's you informing your generals that they can stand down. The war is over. Thank you. You've done a great job. And when they stand down, then eventually they're firing less arrows. There's less arrows falling into the kingdom. The kingdom goes into less of an inflammatory state. The whole system calms down and we move back to normal functioning of the kingdom.
0: And right, happy. right. So the work with the neuroplasticity, its all, is it like a brain hack or hypnotherapy? Because uh, I'm currently having hypnotherapy treatment every week because I went through a phase where I was in a situation where I had a lot of anxiety around things that were going on in my life. And I couldn't switch the anxiety off, even though I was doing all the things. I was doing meditation. I was writing in the gratitude journal. I was doing all the work that I thought I was meant to do. But for some reason, I, I was just spiraling. So I had heard about hypnotherapy and this particular therapist said that he has trained in NLP, which is neuro linguistic programming. Is this all kind of the same type of thing as what you're doing?
1: So our brain retraining is quite unique um, in the sense that there are repeated exercises to do throughout the day Mm. rather than you sit down and you do one thing and that's it. Although we have that as well. And so, there are certainly crossovers in terms of what are all of these different tools and techniques ultimately attempting to do? They're ultimately attempting to create new neuronal pathways in your brain so that you no longer are stuck in old pathways. Mm-hmm. And the difference with our program and our treatment is it's the repetition and the way that the repetition is done to create those new neuronal connections. So, as an example, you know how we're different to cognitive approaches is let's say you're learning to drive a car. Now, on your first lesson, If you sit there and think, hey, I'm going to be super positive and I'm definitely going to learn to drive this car and I've got no negative patterns or beliefs, I'll be able to drive this car. That can help, but it won't help you learn to drive the car. Yes. To learn to drive the car, what you need to do is have regular lessons where you teach your nervous system to do the steering wheel, press the accelerator at the right point, use the gear shift, look left and right. You need to do that repeatedly again and again and again until your brain learns it unconsciously and you become what we call unconsciously competent. And that means then you can drive your car and eat a sandwich and listen to the radio and daydream because your body has now automated that process. So you've dug that along the light and path. The way that this is different to traditional uh, other types of techniques is it is the repetition throughout the day that really makes the impact on this and creates those new neuronal pathways in a shorter period of time than you might in traditional therapies. But ultimately, even hypnotherapy and NLP are looking to achieve the same outcome, which is new neuronal pathways.
0: What are some of the results that you've seen in patients that have been a part of your program? What are some of the results
1: you've seen? Sure. So we make sure that everything that we do as much as possible is science backed and we've got data behind it. So as an example, we published a clinical audit which found that 90 percent of patients improved and two thirds of patients went on to make a 80 to 100 percent recovery, which is what we call a full recovery, 80 to 100 percent of pre-ornest levels.
0: And recently
1: we've just published a couple of randomized controlled trials. So this is the kind of gold standard in science. And we found that for fibromyalgia, we, in eight weeks, our program reduced fibromyalgia scores by 40%, but zero in the control group. We also halved anxiety and depression in eight weeks, and we were able to increase functional capacity by 50%. So that was a great result. And we are a six-month program, so having that in eight weeks was great. And most recently, just a few months ago, we published a randomized controlled trial on long covid and we compared our program to a wellness program. So the wellness program had diet, supplements, sleep, exercise, all of those types of things. And they compared us over three months. And after three months, the program was four times more effective at reducing fatigue and exhaustion compared to the wellness program, and twice as effective at increasing levels of energy compared to the wellness program. So that was a published independent study as well. And that's shown, that, you know, then was more interest in our program as a result of that study. Mm -hmm. And we are conducting further randomized control trials to finally prove the effectiveness of this approach. So, yeah, we've had some great results. And recently we've had some changes in our program, which I think will make it even easier to use. So we've now published it as an app. So as an app, it's super easy to use wherever you want, as well as on the Web. And we've just introduced something called Daily size which has been a game changer for our patients, absolute game changer. We know that patients are isolated and alone at home, right? And it's difficult to keep up the motivation with these tools and techniques. But we say to our patients, even if you just don't understand what you've got to do, every day, Monday to Friday, we have daily Zoom calls with our expert coaches who lead patients through the nervous system regulation and then the brain retraining. And we have two to 300 people a day coming onto those calls. And it's been a game changer because now they feel supported and held through their healing journey, and they don't need to think about doing it on their own, it provides motivation accountability, they can see their friends online, and it's just been you know a godsend for so many of our patients and really supporting their healing. So that has been something that you know we're uniquely doing that has been a wonderful uh, That's great brilliant.
0: That is brilliant. Now I have become a subscriber. I haven't engaged as yet because I'm only new, but I can't wait to do some of the work. Now tell me other, some of the other things that you offer as part of the Gupta program because you've talked about some of the workshops where there's singing and dancing and laughter. So tell us about some of those.
1: Yes. So the, and these bits are all optional in case someone that's, that's not someone's cup of tea, but <laughs> we believe there are three main arms to the Uh, healing number one is relaxing the nervous system Uh, so we have lots of breathing and meditations and if people can't meditate there's lots of other exercises that help people calm down Mm -hmm. and then the second is the brain retraining which are the different tools and techniques through videos that people learn how to engage and thirdly re-engaging with joy so Mm -hmm. we know that people heal better and for longer when they're able to connect to their inner joy and therefore we have lots of fun workshops that people can join and we help people understand how they can uh, benefit from that aspect of our physiology. Uh, And the way this is all delivered is through interactive videos, through the app or through the website and lots of audio exercises and then weekly webinars with myself. So I present weekly webinars to support people through the process. And then we also have a, a really loving forum where people can ask questions and make friends and find buddies. Yes. And as I said, we also have this daily gupta size as well, which means that you have some of the, the retraining that you can engage with each day. And so it's a very comprehensive package of support that people get. And until we have the phase two and phase three larger trials, we also offer a, a one year money back guarantee on the treatment. So people have got. Wow. Nothing to- to go.
0: Well, one year.
1: Yeah. So after six months, so it's a six month program. I mean, three to six months. And after six months, if people feel it's not for them, they can return it, no questions asked, and get their money back.
0: Has that happened?
1: We certainly get a few percent of people. Like, no treatment is effective for everybody. so about three or four percent of people uh, return their programs, but mm. most people find it's really beneficial and they continue with yes. um, their
0: treatment. But also, too, how do you know for a fact that they're that they haven't that like they've done the program? They have gotten better, but they're just lying. I mean, you really can't tell, can you?
1: We you know, we generally find that uh, our patients are, are very, uh, dare I say, the kinds of personalities that get these types of conditions, one trait we've certainly noticed is conscientiousness.
0: Oh, yes. Wanting to be,
1: do a good job, the, what we call the good little boy or the good little girl syndrome. And so we just trust our patients and, uh, you know, generally if, if you know, if you've benefited even 20 30% from something, uh, you'd feel super bad about then returning it, knowing that you'd improve. So, we, you know, we trust our patients and you know, they'll do the best I thing.
0: feel that you should find out what star sign these people are and I bet you the majority of them would be Virgos.
1: Interesting, <laughs> yes, Virgos. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Control freaks, perfectionists, hard on themselves, want everything to be perfect, want to be the good person. Stress over everything. I think, I actually think we should do a little experiment or a little research study there on star sign. (laughs) (laughs) Just saying. So, what's your mission with all of this, Ashok? Because I know that you're doing this, you've launched this program. Would you like to see it in hospitals? Would you like to see doctors endorsing it? What? where would you like to see this go to?
1: I would love for everyone to have access to this type of approach right from the get-go instead of five, six, seven years down the line once they've been through all other avenues. So I would like us to have such a large evidence base that in five years' time, if you go to your doctor and say, hey, I'm suffering from chronic fatigue syndrome or I've got pain syndromes or I've got mould, that the first port of call is for the doctor to say, right, so let's start you off with neuroplasticity. Yeah, Let's rewire the brain because there's such a large evidence base behind it. So that would be my vision on our aim so that we can heal so many more people. Because at the moment, literally millions of people around the world are suffering from these illnesses. They have no treatment that's really showing any effectiveness. And many people do get better randomly through various avenues, but often it's never a lifelong thing and they still yes. have recurrences. And therefore, we want to heal at least a million people over the next five years and heal as many people as possible after that. So, yeah, really, it's to put this out there as a mainstream treatment.
0: Yes. What is your legacy here?
1: I think the legacy is to have made this new branch of medicine mainstream. I think neuroplasticity and this neural re- rewiring type of area is the new exciting area of medicine. And I want to be at least contribute to this vision of it becoming mainstream, about it becoming something that heals so many people and has got the depth of science in terms of the research and the trial data behind it. So that's really the legacy that I want to leave so that future generations don't need to Mm -hmm. suffer as much as our generations have. I mean, think about the last 20 to 30 years, how many people have now been diagnosed with all of these illnesses and they're just lost in the system and they're not healing. They're not getting better.
0: They're not. They're not, doctors don't know what to do with them. And that's, I know the word that I was trying to think of earlier when I was saying that umbrella term, I it, it's a waste paper basket term with a lot of these things that when people don't know quite where to fit things into, they can often be put into these categories and it's just one becomes one big massive, like this is what you have, not really sure what to do with it, so we'll just put you over there so you have a name for it and good luck.
1: Mm.
0: And people are left to their own devices.
1: I think that's exactly what it is. It's something where people don't feel understood by their doctors, they feel that the doctors think they're making it all up, and Mm. it takes them a long time to find something that can really help them. And generally what we notice, because people will say, well, hang on, I didn't do any brain retraining and I healed. What we believe is that people can heal from lots of different modalities, which then as a secondary consequence, retrains the brain automatically. And this could be the basis of the self-healing effect, not the placebo effect per se, although that is part of it. Yes. That when someone, let's say, goes on a new diet and that improves their guts, their brain then thinks, hey, you know, remember those army and navy firing off their arrows? they suddenly think, hey, maybe I'm feeling better. Maybe I'm on a virtuous circle. And so automatically that retrains the brain that we are no longer in danger, creates a virtuous circle of healing and health, and then someone can heal and get back. But then a moment a stressor comes back, the brain is still in that vulnerable state and then re-triggers those overactive immune system, nervous system networks, which then creates the chronic illness and we get back into a vicious cycle, which is why these illnesses are often... Uh, a cycle of healing and recovery and then reinitiation of the illness because the ground is still soft. We still have those neuronal pathways Mm. in our brain.
0: Mm. I had an experience where when I was trying to figure out what was going on with my gut, I decided I would try Mm gluten-free and that worked for a while. And I thought, oh, okay, that was the problem. I was gluten intolerant. But then, I, when I ate gluten when I wasn't stressed, I could handle it. And then I thought maybe I, I started trying lactose free, and that worked for a while. But then, when the stress came back, that didn't work either. It's like you're writing yes. what you're saying, you're trying all these different things. But then, when you go into that stress mode or that anxiety peaks, it doesn't matter. And what you were saying too about you have two different people. Well, my brother and I, same genetics, he has no gut problems. He can eat anything. He has a cast iron stomach and here I am full of all these stomach problems, anxiety issues, (laughs) and we're both from the same parents.
1: Yes, and they've even done studies. I mean, I'm assuming you're not twins, but they've done no. studies on twins. Yeah. we're you're not eleven twins. years apart. We're eleven years apart, so someone could still say, "Well, perhaps there's a different in genetics." But actually, they've done studies on twins with a similar result, where you can have twins who are genetically identical, but actually, they can go on to have very different gut biomes and very different responses to their environments, depending on once again the lifestyle factors, the stresses and strains, personality traits. Yes, and therefore, it is more nurture than it is nature in terms of our responses to our environments. And the good news is we have control over that or certainly influence over it. And therefore, now the health systems need to refocus on calming our nervous systems as being something which is given to people as a prescription, you know, as, just as important as any other medications that they give. And that's really our aim is to uh, support nervous system regulation as a very core ingredient of overall health.
0: Now, you've talked about MENDS, M-E-N-D-S. You were talking about that as part of your program or something that you're endorsing. Do you want to talk about that briefly?
1: Yes. So let's say we don't have a chronic illness, but we just feel like we want to have a better gut biome and we want to generally feel healthy. So we've created this protocol, and we're going to be investing in this and releasing it soon, called the MENDS Protocol. And it's quite funny, some people, once I was talking about this, and a lady said, You know, Asha, why are you talking about the men protocol? That's very sexist. And I said, No, no, it's not the men protocol, it's the MEND protocol with a D at the end, right? And what MEN stands for is the four key components of health. In fact, there are five, but let's say the four core ones M is for mind, E is for exercise, N is for nighttime routine, so that's your sleep, and D is for diets and, and obviously supplements. And there's a fifth important component, which is S for social, in terms of our engagement. Yes. Sort of. These five components really decide our longevity, our overall health, how many good years of health that we have. And generally, most people focus on the D, which is the diet. They think, right, I want to live longer or I want to um, I feel healthier. Maybe I need to fix my diet because that's almost the simplest and easiest one to do because it doesn't require our investment in terms of time. So we think. I take some supplements i eat the right thing i should be fine but you can see that's just one component out of five and i believe the mind one is the most important that if we can get our nervous system regulated and calm actually our bodies are pretty resilient they can handle a lot of abuse <laughs> in terms of the food we give it etc not that we advise that but getting the mind calm is the most important piece of this and obviously physical exercise is super important getting the right amount of sleep is super important uh, and then the diet supplements are an important piece of the jigsaw, but aren't the whole picture. And we know, for instance, that in terms of lo- longevity, the number one factor for longevity is not smoking, drinking, etc. It's actually loneliness. Loneliness yes. is a mortality factor or all cause mortality yes. uh, in later life, and therefore supporting elders, uh, parents, etc. Through their retirement is incredibly important in their overall health. So the men's protocol is really for us to all think about in these five categories, how are we doing? How are we doing in the mind aspect? How are we doing the exercise aspect? And Mm -hmm. having an overall holistic approach to our health.
0: Mm -hmm. And for a lot of people, I suppose they're listening to this and they're saying, wow, that's a lot. This is really overwhelming. We've got the mind, we've got the exercise, we have the nighttime routine, we have the diet, we have the social. Where do we even start? And I like to say to people, just one small step each day, even if you make one change every day. And some of the things that I started incorporating this year was even where I park the car, if I'm catching the train, rather than going to the nearest car park to the train station, I would find the car park most furthest away, which meant that I had to walk just that little bit further. And then I started to make sure that I had a nighttime routine before bed, that my body was being given that signal that, okay, you're going to be going to bed soon. Just little things all together create the big sum of, don't they? Mm -hmm.
1: Absolutely. You're you're right. Because if we feel all of this is overwhelming, we won't put anything into practice. So it's just picking, I would say pick three things, three things that you can do simply each day. And you've outlined a few there. And I think in terms of the biggest impact, just spending at least 10 minutes relaxing at some point during the day. Like, and on our app, we have lots of free meditations, 10 and 20 minute meditations people can listen to. I think everyone's at least got 10 minutes a day they can invest in their health, knowing how impactful it will be. So that's, that's the number one thing we say to people is just find some time to meditate or breathe each day for 10 minutes. And something else that's really simple to put into practice is just go for a walk. Yeah, at least 20 to 30 minutes a day. You know, We all know it's good for us. Just making sure that at least 30 minutes a day we're going for a brisk walk that can easily be incorporated into our day. So those are two or three you know, simple things that we can put into practice. And then with sleep, just we all know we're going to bed later these days because of Netflix and because of our phones and our devices. And we know that the optimal time for sleep, by the way, in terms of our melatonin cycles and cortisol cycles is around 10.30. So 10, 10.30. Ah, that's the
0: time I go to
1: bed. Perfect. So that is the ideal time for us to go to sleep. Uh, so just making sure that we're getting to bed on time and And going to bed at the same time every day really makes a positive impact as well. So those are three simple things we can do, a bit of relaxation each day that's deliberate, going for a walk every day and making sure that we get to sleep at the same time each day. Three simple things that can really make a big impact on our
0: health. Yes, and also the social connection. Mm. We've become isolationists as a society, especially since COVID, and We are not having that social engagement that we used to have. My mum passed away last year and she was 99 and 7 months. Wow. Now, she made sure she had a purpose every day. She had a reason to get up, do her hair, put some lipstick on, put her little heels on. They got littler as she got older and to leave the house and to be with other people, whether she would go to bingo, whether she would go to church, whether she would go to a little group where they're all Italians. But that sense of purpose was so important to her. And I, I saw a documentary, I think it was the Blue zones where people they had the greatest number of centenarians. And that was one thing, that they all had a sense of community. In all these areas where people live over 100 years of age, they all had this sense of belonging and sense of community. So I don't Mm -hmm. think that that is something that we shouldn't um, underestimate. Now, what else are you up to? We're going to start wrapping this up, Ashok. What else are you up to at the moment? What's coming out soon?
1: Yes. Yeah, so I have a personal development program called the Meaning of Life Experiment, which you've touched on purpose here. It's a 30 day program for us to discover more happiness. So the science of happiness to discover more meaning. So really understanding what is the meaning of life, right? Yes. And then finally more purpose so we can connect with our life purpose. The, the gift that we're here to give to this planet. And I believe we're all here to give a gift in our own small, medium, or large way. But all of it is large in the sense that there's no comparison. Mm. And this program is a 30-day program where you listen to a meditation, you watch a video, and then answer some self-reflection questions. And we filmed this. It's a whole documentary series. So we filmed this a number of years ago, and we're relaunching the apps, uh, and they should be available when this this podcast goes out. Sure, yes. um, So that's another program that people can engage with. It's completely free. And has lots of great uh, videos and content on there that they can consume.
0: Yes. If you had to give one piece of advice to our listeners in terms of better health, what would you say?
1: I would say the number one piece of advice I would give is let go.
0: Oh, oh. <laughs> Sorry for laughing. Are you talking to me here? <laughs>
1: Yes, exactly. It's the number one thing oh. in our lifestyles uh, because of our expectations of society. ourselves. Mm-hmm. We become so attached to our sense of self-image and wanting to do a good do a good job, and as you say, do it perfectly and achieve mm-hmm. things. Mm-hmm. And we're so attached to that that our nervous systems are tense and tight a lot of the time. And so we take a deep breath in and just let go and be. More at peace and contentment with who we are, what we've achieved, and what is expected of us. And just let go and say, we are good enough just the way we are. Even if we did nothing else in life, achieve nothing else from this moment onwards, we are still a good person. And we can let go of that attachment and be at peace with ourselves. And if we can just incorporate that into our daily life, what a more relaxing time we would have.
0: Can I tell you, I just had the greatest sense of calm come over me right then. When you were saying that and I took a deep breath, I actually felt this sense of like stillness, calm, and peace. So obviously that's something I need to do more often, and I need to I need to listen to those words every day. So we're going to share the links to your apps and to your program, to your website, Ashok. I really appreciate your time. I'm fascinated by the work you're doing. This is brilliant stuff. And I'm really pleased that people are now starting to get this whole idea of the brain and body and mind connection, that they are not in isolation the brain doesn't work in isolation that everything is working together and we we have to take a holistic approach to health so i really love this it's great work please keep doing what you're doing we need more people like you trying different programs you know traditional medicine is failing in in many ways it's not covering off on everything
1: Yes, so well absolutely. Done. Yeah, yeah, thank you, Marissa. I really yeah. appreciate your, uh, your kind words. And yes, there's lots of us in this field like yourself and many hundreds, thousands of others who are trying to push this agenda forward, which is this idea of holistic health, long-term health, and how important it is that we don't rely on a medical system, which is just taking drugs, but instead look at our holistic overall health. And uh, I think things will change massively in the next five to ten years.
0: Yes, Look, thank you so much. Good luck with all your work, and I truly appreciate your time, Ashok, and And hope to connect again. I will get busy on that app, and I'm I'm really keen to give this a go. So thank you so much. Take care. No, thank you
1: so much. Take care. Bye.
0: Bye. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of A Voice and Beyond. I hope you enjoyed it as now is an important time for you to invest in your own self-care, personal growth, and education. Use every day as an opportunity to learn and to grow so you can show up feeling empowered and ready to live your best life. If you know someone who will also be inspired by this episode, please be sure to copy and paste the link and share it with them or share it on social media and use the hashtag A Voice and Beyond. I promise you I am committed to bringing you more inspiration and conversations just like this one every week. And if you would like to help me, please rate and review this podcast and cheer me on by clicking the subscribe button on Apple Podcast right now. I would also love to know what it is that you most enjoyed about this episode and what was your biggest takeaway. Please take care and I look forward to your company next time on the next episode of A Voice and Beyond.